Uh, the United States has the highest incarceration rate of juveniles anywhere in the world. And then you add on top of young people, 500,000 kids in foster care every year. If that were if that were a health issue, it would be an epidemic and we'd be up in arms. But because they're forgotten kids, yeah. we don't do yeah. anything about it, hardly. Yeah. So systemic abandonment is what happens when, uh, basically the easiest way to define it is when the best practices for young people are hijacked by adult-driven agendas. I was a good youth pastor until I became a parent, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then I realized how I wasn't. And now I'm a better youth pastor and pastor. Hey, everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That's why we do what we do. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host. I'm also director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, where we seek to bring support and encouragement and perspective to hurting pastors. Love for you to check that website out, www before, uh, sorry, www.fruitfulvineministry.com. The podcast site is www.beforeyouquit.us. Okay, let me set up uh, what we're going to talk about today and on the topic of uh, youth culture and ministry to the youth culture, uh, the youth in the church, and just that whole uh, reality that is so important. But several weeks ago, I, I was driving uh, to the campus of Toccoa Falls College, which is near where we live, and uh, I was watching a number of students in packs of maybe 10, 20, 30 streaming towards the auditorium of the college for their chapel service. And I was there at a stop sign and, uh, of course, allowed some of the students to cross in front of me. That was rather kind of me, wasn't it? Um, but that was a long time ago for me. I remember looking at them and reflecting uh, on my time. That was me once doing exactly what they're, do they're doing. And that's 35 years ago. And, of course, so much has happened since then uh, in my life, but also in culture. And I also looked at them and uh, thought about—this was getting rather reflective for me, a reflective moment. But I, I thought about how they will one day be where I am now. And unless the Lord returns first, these young people will be looking back at their 35 years from now— and I know their world will be so different than it is now, and they'll probably be reflecting as I am, wow, look at how much has changed. But I found myself in this reflective mood wondering, uh, what is the church going to look like uh, in 35 years from now or 20 years from now? And I looked at these young people and imagined them being the ones leading and involved in church, experiencing the Christian life in a culture that probably is is uh, going to be far more secular than it is even today. Um, so here's, uh, here's what we're going to do. I, I happen to have the privilege to sit down with one of the professors of Toccoa Falls College to talk about this and to talk about other things related to youth culture today, youth ministry, uh, how we reach them, what's the role of, uh, of the youth in the church. And his name is Dr. Rich Griffith, and he serves as professor of youth ministry here at Toccoa Falls College. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He's a, a single dad of two adopted sons, uh, Aaron, who's 19, and Dylan, who's 16. And he served in the Army. He served for 29 years in youth ministry, and a lot of that was in church and parachurch settings, including Young Life and uh, military community youth ministries. Uh, he's been a lead pastor for the last four and a half years while serving in a variety of youth ministry capacity as well, and he's been doing all that as he's also full-time professor here at the college. He's, he's a, a writer, 
and a contributor to the Teen Devotional Bible, as well as other youth and ministry-related publications. Uh, so I am just really excited to let you join in on the conversation that we had together. Uh, so let's jump into that now. All right, yeah, this is a take two. Uh, we are sitting here at the Tocoa Falls College, and across the table from me with a huge black mic in between us is Rich Griffith. Thanks so much for your willingness to, uh, to do this. What building are we at here? We are in the Ministry Leadership Department. It houses all the ministries like youth, family, and children, pastoral okay. ministry, ministry leadership, outdoor leadership. Yeah. So everything ministry related. And everybody who has been part of Tocoa Falls knows that originally this was the high school. Oh, in yes, the 70s, yes. and then we're actually in the room that used to be the photo lab. Yeah. You, you say you can still smell it. <laughs> I can still smell it. It's, it's in the air. You can never yeah. get it. I actually did photography, so oh, I was cool. I was in this room uh, quite often. Nice. Uh, hey, great, great to have you share uh, your heart, your passion, your interest uh, with, with youth ministry. Uh, as I was driving here, students are going to call it to chapel mm-hmm. and I every time I see a group of them walking I, I remember I always think of two things that was once me and then secondly my goodness how fast time goes yes because uh, they they are where I used to be and they will one day be <clears throat> where I am now and that's kind of a setup for what we want to talk about here the future sure. of, of youth ministry now your your interest is not to talk about the future of the church necessarily that these are future pastors. You, your interest is, is narrowly on youth ministry, right? The next generation of youth ministers. Actually, I think they're really entwined. Okay. I don't think you can you know the future youth ministry will diametrically um, impact the future of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things as we jump into this is it really irritates me when I when we hear the terms big church, yeah, uh, or we hear the terminology that uh, you know young people are the future of the church. Yeah. Well, the reality is they should be the church yeah. now if yeah. they're believers. Yeah, so, yeah, well, and 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 we know that the those the demographic in that group are the most vulnerable, most open to the gospel still. Absolutely. So they that that puts great value into yeah. those ministries. Yeah. Uh, all right, before we uh, we jump into that conversation, it'd be helpful to get to know you a little bit. Sure. Uh, you you have a unique story. I don't know it that well. I've heard it more from others <laughs> oh, than, wow. than you. Uh, but you're a single dad yes, uh, working at a Christian college. And uh, how did you uh, tell, tell us a little bit that story of... Uh, well, I, uh, I actually pastor a church still, too, part-time, okay. uh, and I'm the professor of youth ministry here at Tocoa Falls College. I tell you, the way the adoption thing started is, uh, you know how you read the Bible, and you've read it you know, many, many times, but mm-hmm. then it just hits you between the eyes differently. I was overseas consulting with military community youth ministries and the Department of Defense doing mm-hmm. some chapel ministry for military dependents, an often forgot about group. Mm-hmm. Well, I was in our bachelor officer quarters, and I was praying one day after I had been reading James one twenty-seven, and it just smacked me between the eyes. And being a single person, I said, well, what am I going to do about that? You know, religion that is pure and faultless in the eyes of God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their times of distress mm-hmm. and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, hindsight now, I should have gone for the widow first, but that's yeah, a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to <laughs> fulfill fully that yes, uh, that yeah. command, yeah. So I fought it for four years. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, God said, "Well, he, there's just that tug. You know that that still small mm-hmm. voice become a became a holler." Mm-hmm. And uh, I fought it for four years, but went through a long process of um, basically having a heart for kids who who need good stability. 
uh, and that was the next way I did that. Um, and so my first son came to me when he was 11 years old. He got to pick his own name, which was awesome. My goodness. Uh, and uh, he came out of some horrific, horrific abuse situations. Mm. Just horrible. This is an American Yes, this is a family. domestic child. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he came from Kansas. Um, he did stabilize a little bit, and then puberty hit. But during that stabilization period, um, he wanted to be a big brother. Mm-hmm. And so I wound up crazy enough adopting a second son that is great who which is crazy he he came to us three years apart or Mm. three years from when aaron was adopted and they're exactly almost three years apart in age Mm -hmm. they're both birthdays are in october i mean you can't that's great that (laughs) That is great so he got his big brother and yeah he got a big brother and i always thought i was a really good youth pastor Mm -hmm. until i became a parent (laughs) and then it was like i wanted to go back to all those families i'd been ministry to for 29 years saying i'm so sorry i I had no idea what i was talking about yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah yeah, nothing like experience or you could say working with youth prepared you for this yeah. Yeah, we'll look at it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's yeah. anything that prepares yeah. you for being yeah. a parent. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. Uh, except for parenting. That's, what that's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, uh, those that know our story, we took uh, parental custody of two kids yeah. whose mom died of cancer. And, uh, and and you're ready for it by the time it, yeah. it happens, right? Oh, it God has, prepares it, you for it. I tell you, it has really enhanced my theology of when God talks about adopting us as his mm-hmm. children. Yeah, yeah. Because what I discovered with these kids is you can tell them, you can show them ad nauseum mm-hmm. that you love them. Mm-hmm. But until they believe it, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you probably experienced that, but there's issues of trust, and so this whole adoption, youth mm-hmm. ministry, and stuff like that, it is very significant. It's biblical. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's, yeah. your story is more unique because you're you're obviously called to singleness. I would assume. Well, I didn't think uh, I still don't think I am, but okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should have asked that. you that first before I mentioned it here. Well, right. thanks so, for being honest there. That's, yeah, so that's if there's good. any ladies out there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, he is bald. I'll yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, when you're talking about uh, being a uh, parent, mm-hmm. uh, a professor, and a and a pastor, that's yeah. a lot of hats that you're wearing there. But uh, it's it's wonder. I mean, it probably all keeps you balanced, doesn't it? Uh, uh, equilibrium with it. You, you have to find a balance, yeah. and maybe it's all those hats taken one and off that's made me mm-hmm. be bald a little bit. So. I'm, I'm impressed by this. Seems to be a little different than uh, it might be overly simplistic to say this, but I'm meeting more professors mm. who are also doing something on the ground, and I think mm. it makes things a lot more real for them yeah. and yeah. Uh, gives it more more relevance and, and value. They can they can talk about it practically sure. because they're experiencing yeah. it in the moment. It's not yeah. just a past experience. For Absolutely. Them. All right, let's let's talk about your your burden, your passion mm. for raising the next generation of youth ministry professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us a little bit about those passions. Well, I think what happened, uh, I've always loved doing youth ministry and uh, done that in the church and parachurch, Young Life, uh, pioneer, helped pioneer, uh, part of pioneering Young Life's middle school ministry called Wildlife, which is okay. very appropriately mm-hmm. named. Mm-hmm. Um, and so always have been a little bit of an entrepreneur in, in ministry and uh, just love doing that. But what I discovered is about, oh, I don't know, 15, maybe even now 20 years ago, I, I felt or sensed a seismic shift in our youth culture. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, it wasn't until I went to Fuller Theological Seminary and started working on my doctorate that Chap Clark identified what I was feeling. And it was the issue of systemic abandonment in our young mm-hmm. people. 
Um, the problem is, too, too many pastors and churches are not even aware of the issue of systemic abandonment of our young people. And I assume you'll define what that is. We can define that, and I'll kind of go along yeah. and then come yeah, back we'll and come find back to that. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, well, my doctoral thesis was, and I asked Dr. I was I was the horrible student in that if you were the teacher mm-hmm. and you were trying to teach me something, I'd always ask why, mm-hmm. why, why, you or what's the next. obnoxious one. And sometimes, class. and I yeah. still am in some ways, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, so anyway, I asked Chap, I said, well, then I'm curious, uh, what's going to be next. And so I started doing research, and what I've discovered is this systemic abandonment was actually leading to the criminalization of our young people. Uh, The United States has the highest incarceration rate of juveniles anywhere in the world. And then you add on top of young people, 500,000 kids in foster care every year. Mm. If that were if that were a health issue, it would be an epidemic and we'd be up in arms. But because they're forgotten kids, yeah. we don't do anything yeah. about it, hardly. Yeah. The church is just now waking up mm. to that as well. Mm. I, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah more pastors are, are yeah. adopting and fostering, yeah. I've noticed, yeah. too. And that was what we were doing before we allowed the state to take over, right? Interesting, yeah. Uh, so we're coming back to God's call, I think, in some mm-hmm. ways. But even as I'm writing this on criminalization, what is the church's response? We did a whole big project on that in Rome, but even as I'm writing this, I see it leading. If the church doesn't address it, if our culture doesn't address it, then we're going to move beyond systemic abandonment, beyond criminalization to exploitation. Mm-hmm. And we've got this, I've written up on a board. Yeah, I think I'll like take that. a picture of what you have yeah, on the board. We it's put a, great, that up there. a great chart. So it kind of helps people realize, and I, I can't take credit for this. I've just built on what Dr. Clark and people like Mark DeVries and uh, Kara Powell and all these youth ministry professionals have, have established a foundation for. As a matter of fact, the best compliment I ever got was from Dr. Chap Clark when he said, Rich, you're teaching me something and you need to take it to the world. Wow. I'm like, okay, well, you need to give me one of those platforms. Mm-hmm. You specialties mm-hmm. to do it then, right? Yeah. But but so this is my platform now. It's at the college level. Okay. Okay. Before we get too far away sure. from it, then define systemic okay, abandonment. Great. So systemic abandonment is what happens when, uh, basically, the easiest way to define it is when the best practices for young people are hijacked by adult-driven agendas. Hmm. So I'll give you some examples hmm. of that to make it more practical and yeah. understanding. So back in the 1990s when the school shootings were happening and stuff like that, we had someone who testified before Congress, and it's in my research. I don't remember the name, so I apologize, but basically testified in front of Congress and said that we're developing a generation of super predators. Mm-hmm. Now, this person regrets saying that this yeah. day. Yeah. But it almost had become sort of a, a self-fulfilled prophecy. So what happens is... Because the school shootings, which are still statistically an anomaly, horrible. We don't ever want that to happen, but it's statistically an anomaly. Do you know the fastest segment of police work growing in America today? What is it? It is school resource officers. Wow. Wow. So yeah, I, do we want to know that? Would we? No, no, no. You look at the for it, and yeah, and yeah. this comes from police department, yeah. school resource officer research. So what what happens is that um, so okay. School shootings, we become afraid of our children. We become afraid for our children. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we start putting police in the schools. Mm -hmm. And then you add on top of the zero tolerance policies, which was actually, again, in the 90s designed for hardcore drug cartels. Mm -hmm. And that made its way into the school because of school shootings. Again, still an anomaly. We put school resource officers in the schools to stop the shooting. Well, obviously, since since it is a statistical anomaly, what else is the school resource officer going to do? Yeah. So, yes, they build relationships. They try and make sure the kids aren't afraid of them. But what happens systemically, not on Mm -hmm. purpose. It's ignoring the rest of the kids. Well, no. Actually, what happens is that what used to be a phone call between a parent and a teacher or an administrator is now a phone call between the school resource officer and a parent. Yeah. 
So the school resource officer gets used for disciplinary practices. Mm -hmm. So when this kid, who's a typical kid, and this is where it gets real complicated. Mm -hmm. So when systemic abandonment actually happens in the household too, for instance, less parental involvement, less adults involved in young people's lives, more technology, we're putting all this stuff in kids. Uh, you know, David Elkind, Dr. David Elkind wrote about the hurried child. Mm -hmm. And he's written many more books updated since, uh, you know, Ties to Stress, The New Family Balance. There's lots of good things that he's really written. So you put all this on the decay of the, the family, less adult involvement with the lives of young people. Young people feel feeling more isolated. They go to their peers trying to figure life out. You give them technology. They're doing things like sexting or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is because a school resource officer in the school where the kids spend a lot of time, these kids now become criminalized. And, and here's the irony of it. So our culture does things. So this is a huge issue. It's mm -hmm. not just the home. It's mm -hmm. not just schools. It's not just the church. It's not just parks and recreation. It's all of it. Mm -hmm. So what used to be about how do we raise kids in a healthy way, they're all hijacked by adult-driven agendas. Here's a great example of this, too. So not just Yeah, school. I was going to ask for an example just yeah. so it's, it's in our... So we have a picture in our minds. With the advent of advancing technology, the rapidity of change in our culture is, mm -hmm. is just phenomenal. Robert Keegan wrote a book called In Over Our Heads, mm -hmm. and that's exactly where we are. So what happens is our, you know, we have so this now I would say too, we move from systemic, unintentional. So there are unintentional results from the zero tolerance, mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. But there has been also a move somewhere along the spectrum, and I've got it on the board that there are organizations and people who will also move towards systematic abandonment, which means it is intentional. For instance, mm -hmm. pornography is one of those things. Mm -hmm. um, it is said that research, according to some research, that uh, the first exposure to pornography for a young person is age 11. So think about what that does That's even crazy. before they hit puberty, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, And then you got adolescence is being extended from ages 9 or 10 in the urban culture to really they define adolescence as 11 to 29 because mm -hmm. we're not meeting adult markers. Yeah. So what happens is you've got organizations and people like pornography that is intentional abandonment because intentional abandonment is about the desires of another person. Mm -hmm. It is very intentional. So they, they, they target 11-year-olds for pornography. And here's the weird thing about it. Our government won't go after the porn industry, but they will go after a teenager who uh, participates in sexting. That's fascinating. Right. Yeah. Why? So it's because not going to the source. Well, and it's lower hanging fruit. Yeah, it is yeah. easier to go yeah. after a young person. And then here's the problem. So you can get a 13-year-old, realistically, who gets labeled as a sex predator when they're just given the tools by the mm -hmm. culture that we've given mm -hmm. them and we don't stop. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this, you could stop pornography if you wanted to mm -hmm. just by saying you have to have a credit card to purchase pornography. Yeah. Well, if you're 18, under 18, you, it's going to be really hard for mm. you to get a credit mm. card. And they should say, if you intentionally put free pornography out there, we will prosecute you. Mm -hmm. The problem is pornography is worldwide. It's not it's just so the United States. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's it, a decision that should have been made years ago, oh, yeah, decades yeah. ago. Well, the, and so this is the thing with technology and systemic abandonment mm -hmm. and systematic abandonment is that what, is, what all this is doing is our kids are more stressed out so every institution, like I said, and written and unwritten, known mm -hmm. and unknown institutions, basically kids are left to figure life out on their own. Yeah, yeah. And we wonder why our kids are so hurting and why the suicide mm -hmm. rate continues to escalate. Yeah. And why what, what Chap Clark calls systemic abandonment, uh, Mark DeVries calls systemic isolation mm -hmm. in family-based youth ministry. And so you have all these kids that are being criminalized for, for things that they... Okay, so you ha you've had teenagers at some mm -hmm. point, right? Mm -hmm. So when your teenager does something like, duh, yeah, it's dumb, right? And you ask the question, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. What was the teenager's response? 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and we think they're being disrespectful. Mm-hmm. But, but they really don't know. They really don't know. The prefrontal cor- <laughs> yeah. cortex part of the yeah. brain, which is the logical decision-making part, is not fully matured till around 24. Mm-hmm. So you get a kid hooked on pornography at 11. You ask them why they did the sexting, and they say, I don't know. It's because they've been programmed mm-hmm. by a digitized culture. Yeah. They, they don't know why they did it. It's just a spur-of-the-moment <laughs> thing. But we criminalize them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and again, I'm going to take a picture of that yeah, and sure, have sure, that sure. on the website. So, if you're listening to this, go to the website. You can see that that chart. What is uh, what's the role of the church, hmm. the youth ministry, youth minister, uh, with this? Sure. Well, it's and here's the problem. It can't be just the youth ministry. It has to be the whole church. The whole church. Yeah. For too long, churches have performed and functioned under what's called look down. You see the where it looks like a one-eared Mickey Mouse, where mm-hmm. it says church mm-hmm. and YM youth ministry. Mm-hmm. For too long, the model of youth ministry has been a one-eared Mickey Mouse, which means it's kind of attached to the church, but not really. Mm-hmm. It's an appendage. Yeah, it's an appendage. Exactly right. And it ranges anything from, okay, we're going to have a great youth ministry, Mm -hmm. uh, but we're not really involving kids in the life of the church. And this is really complex because even in youth ministry, you have what I would call observatory levels, which Mm -hmm. is more of an outreach kind of thing. You invite kids Mm -hmm. in, or you have even Mm -hmm. a good youth pastor's own great incarnational ministry going to school. Yeah, and those are events and involvement in the community. You're right, and you need to have some of that. Mm -hmm. But then you want to take them from observatory to uh, participatory, because we even do observatory in the church. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is we have great programs for our young people, but they observe. They might be in a youth band, a few. And that's a step forward. Mm -hmm. It helps give kids the next step, which is ownership. But our young people actually need to have ownership, not just in the youth ministry. They need to have ownership in the church. So anything an adult is doing, uh, they should be mentoring a young person to do. Mm -hmm. So even if it's teaching a Bible study or working with children or whatever. And so we're really raising up leaders while they're in the church, not waiting waiting for them to become leaders. Not waiting for them to be mature enough. Right. Because here's the thing. If you're just at an observatory and maybe even a participatory level, but you don't have ownership, when something better comes along, you're out. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, this is what happens. The best, matter of fact, it used to be, and this is how rapid culture is changing. It used to be that the statistic was 25% of young people. We only retain 25% of our young people in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. The reality is, in post Christendom, it's probably way less than that. I heard a recent survey that basically said it was at 5%. Mm-hmm. That is an, if I was 5% or 25% successful at my job, I would not be in my job yeah. very long. Yeah. Wow. But here's the issue. Youth ministry professionals can get it. I've got a friend. I can't say names mm-hmm. in churches, mm-hmm. but I have a friend of mine who went through this doctoral cohort with me. Boom, the light comes on. He takes it back to his church. The church says, yes, let's go after this. We understand it. But then what happens is he starts doing this, and it becomes, and it changes very uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's When we're used to operating under a paradigm, when you change the paradigm, there's going to be discomfort because you're figuring it mm-hmm. out. Well, the church started doing some great work, but then what happened is it got too uncomfortable, and the church told the seasoned youth veteran leader who'd been in youth ministry for 25 years, moving in this direction, had the logic and the reason for it, had the why, mm-hmm. had the why, uh, the how they were moving toward. But it became so uncomfortable that they basically let him go. Hmm. So here's the thing. The youth ministry person can get it, but if the church is not on board with adoptive youth ministry, then it doesn't make a hill of beans difference. Because the youth pastor won't be able to accomplish anything. Can you suggest some other practical ways to to see that happen, where the church uh, has that that high commitment to involve the youth sure, uh, as sure. much as anybody else in the church? Well, I so, mean, is it in leadership? Yeah. Can you put 
you ever recommend that you have a representative of the youth group like on a board? Well, and that's my thing. It's not just a board. It can be a youth representative on any of the boards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, for instance, even if you had somebody on, let's say, a trustees and it was a youth there mm-hmm. and they know that there's an assignment going on their project and they're a youth of influence, you don't want to just put youth on there that you, you got to develop your leadership, right? That's yeah, true sure, of adults sure. too. Yeah. But if they see the need of the church too and they can talk to their peers, which they're doing because they're already relying mm-hmm. on peers, mm-hmm. how much more can you accomplish with young people in your church? Even on finance, mm-hmm. we do an abysmal job of teaching our young people about finances. And this is why there's so much debt yeah. in our society, yeah, just right? generally, not even not just yeah. in church, but right. just in their lives. Yeah. So what we should teach in life skills, we should be teaching at the church mm-hmm. through intergenerational ministry and mentoring. Uh, for instance, the one-eared Mickey Mouse is the Pied Piper youth pastor who is very charismatic and very young. Mm-hmm. So we hire energy, but we rarely hire experience. Mm-hmm. I was a good youth pastor until I became a parent, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then I realized how I wasn't, and mm-hmm. now I'm a better youth pastor and pastor. Um, but one of the things about assimilative youth ministry is we're trying to make kids more like the church mm-hmm. instead of helping kids discover their yeah. gifts and talents. Yeah. So assimilation says, come be like us. Adoption says, we love you as you are mm-hmm. and let God do the changing in the Holy Spirit. But this takes a family approach. Instead of the Pied Piper youth ministry of one leader to five kids, Mark DeVries, Chap Clark, Carapel, all these youth ministry professionals say we need to change it to five adults for every one kid. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean five youth pastors. Mm-hmm. It means someone in your church, for instance, on one end of the spectrum who maybe is a, a grandma or grandpa who does, can't because of the fragmentation and movement of families. Maybe they don't get to see their grandchildren anymore, but they adopt them as kind of their grandchildren yeah. in the youth ministry. Yeah. And maybe they only write them a note of encouragement once a month or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But that's one adult speaking in the life mm-hmm. of a young person. Yeah, right? I like that. I like and, that. And maybe the kid goes and returns a favor by, you know, you got older people mm-hmm. can't rake their lawns. My kids do that. They go and rake somebody's lawn. You know, they yeah. we have an Oma and Opa, a German word mm-hmm. for grandma and grandpa, that are like my kids' adopted grandparents because mm-hmm. they don't get to be with the grandparents yeah. much. So that's mm-hmm. one end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. all the way to a coach or a volunteer or a small group leader, and then the youth pastor. Mm-hmm. But what you're doing is you're putting five or at least five significant adult roles in the life of that church or the young person so that they feel this is the terminology of family ministry. Mm-hmm. They feel that they're a part of the family of God, which is the way God determined or decided in Deuteronomy 6. See, we take Deuteronomy 6 and we put all the responsibility on the parents. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're like me and most kids nowadays who didn't grow up in the church mm-hmm. and don't have Christian parents, I'd have been sunk. Yeah. So the point being is we got to get outside of our context and we have to think broader family ministry where everybody in the family of Christ is family and we all have responsibility. Yeah, I, think, I think at the heart of this, this has been, I've been reacting uh, maybe a bit too hard on this, you know, having pastored and now I'm mm-hmm. not pastoring and I'm look, viewing church so differently than, yeah, than yeah. I have um, and in fact, I blogged on this last week that we, the churches tend to look at people as how they can serve the church. That's assimilation. Yeah, that is exactly and, correct. And in my blog, I talked about um, how we're using 98% of our time to only 2% of their yes, time. Yes. And, and this relates to youth is we have to understand the world out there and, and mm-hmm. not just coach them or mentor them mm-hmm. for their involvement in the church, right. but for life. Right. For, Ex- Exactly. For family, for right. school, and, right. and preparation for the future. Right. Let, let's shift a little bit sure. here. Not shift, but maybe move the caboose a little bit fur, <laughs> further on the track here. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I agree, we could easily do two or three podcasts. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of here. stuff here, right? There's or if we had enough time, that. we could talk for two sure, hours. Sure. Um, how do you how do you balance? We talked about digital age. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's let's talk about it. maybe briefly. You could share how how has the digital age? You referred to it earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, how has it made the work of the gospel so different? Not harder necessarily, mm-hmm. because I think there can be advantages to that. Sure, absolutely. Uh, from past generations. Mm-hmm. I think um, what is going on, too, is we're literally rewiring our kids' brains. Um, For instance, we know that you can read something on a Kindle, and you can read something in a paper book. And they've done Mm. research and studies where if you read it in a paper book, you actually retain more. I don't, I don't read paper books anymore. Isn't that crazy? But <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. true. They've showed research where because yeah. it's tactile and it's not sure, digital and stuff sure. like that, and you can do all this, you actually retain more. But the problem is we've re- we've just surrendered to a digital age. Mm-hmm. Again, there is good to that. I mean, there are great ways to do evangelism. There are all kinds of videos. There are great things you could do with it. Uh, the concern would be um, that when we rewire our kids' brains, what we're doing is we're teaching them to be more instantaneous and more responsive. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's sort of like when you and I were kids were growing up, you know, you remember the first video game, Pong? Bloop, oh, yeah. Bloop, oh, yeah. You know, the little oh, tune. Yeah. Like, well, we were, you know, everybody's concerned, oh, it's going to get their blood pressure up, right? Yeah. But every time we did something on there, it kind of released a little dopamine. It mm-hmm. gave you a good mm-hmm. feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now our kids are so engrossed in the digital world mm-hmm. that every time they're pushing a button, it's a little bit of an addiction. Yeah. You know, the light, the gen- there's a great PBS Frontline video that came out of it started out with Merchants of Cool back in the 90s and it talks about marketing and how our kids are digitally mm-hmm. marketed through all this stuff well now it's, it's they call they went and did it further where it's generation like mm-hmm. and basically marketers and all these other people are they're not concerned about what's in the best interest of kids they're doing their um the kids are actually the kids youth are actually becoming marketers for wow. big business wow you know, they want to Just become their famous. Reaction. Sure, yeah. and if they get enough likes, we know how it goes. You get enough likes, you get enough subscribers, you get know, podcast, right? Yeah. Then you actually get corporate sponsorship. So kids are willing to do almost anything mm-hmm. to become famous yeah. and make money. Rich, I'm happy with my two listeners. <laughs> Honestly, well, you got I'm a third okay. now, right? But so. I'm, I'm 57, so I, yeah. you know, I don't care. Right. <laughs> right. No, I'm kidding. I mean, it's fa- again, at my age, I'll have an iPad. Or a phone next mm-hmm. to me as I'm watching the news, or even if I'm reading, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I, there's just something that draws me to look at the. And yesterday I caught myself. Mm-hmm. Why am I looking at it again? There's yeah. nothing I was really looking yeah. for. Oh, think how and much time it, people spend on Facebook, yeah, even yeah, as adults, yeah. right? Well, the new the new iOS upgrade for mm-hmm. for Apple uh, mm-hmm. products uh, has an app that gives you at the end of the day it gives you something pops up that shows your screen time amount during wow, the day. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've been shocked. Yeah. How much I've been on it, well, you know. So it's not just a, an issue with teens. Do you remember how much, how many hours was your screen time showing a profit? If you can admit that, uh, it relative to teens, probably not near as uh, probably three hours. Yeah, I'm thinking I was on this for three, but I read, I read off it as well. Sure, sure, sure. Well, right, uh, right. But this is not laptop. This is, I think, this right. is. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I, I'm, I'm thinking it's just the iPad yeah. that's registering. I don't know if they they draw from the. You know, your involvement in your other devices. But, well, but the point is, we, yeah. yeah. Well, the teen digital involvement is an average of 11 hours a day. Oh, my goodness. 11 hours no a day. Way. And it starts young. I mean, I mm. saw a mom years yeah. ago yeah. pushing a little kid through Walmart and a stroller having an iPad in front of mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And we're, so we're rewiring. Yeah. Right. Now, look, I know I tend to, it's hard for me not to become a little cynical because mm-hmm. I, I feel like the person that's trying to raise the alarm. Mm-hmm. And it's not just me. There are statistics and everything that shows it. But what has happened, a great example is what is happening is the digital world is becoming more of a reality than the real world to young yeah, people. Yeah. They don't know how to, the number one prescribed drug 
for college-age students a while back, a little while back ago, mm-hmm. was Viagra. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is they were being so involved in pornography that they could not have a real, genuine yeah, human relationship. That's amazing. Intimacy. Yeah. Right? So it's not just pornography. It's the screen time. It's, yeah. You get, people don't know how to look each other in the eyes, shake hands, and greet each other. Mm-hmm. We don't know how. We're losing the interpersonal contact. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I love it when pastors are intentional with uh, educating their, their folks about this. I mean, my, my daughter works at Shepherd's Hill Academy, which mm-hmm. is a sure. teens in crisis, and out of that experience, you know what they do when kids go there is they take their devices yeah. away for a whole year, yeah. and yeah. it's, a, it's an outdoor wilderness program. Yeah. But she, uh, my granddaughter's three now, and and she told us, and mm-hmm. she because she'd been reading a lot of the information mm-hmm. that has been funneled through Shepherd's Hill, is that, uh, and she told us, you know, Grandma, Grandpa, Papa, Mimi, no TV for two years. Yeah. She's not, and yeah. no nothing digital. Yeah. And we we awesome. st- we committed to that. Yeah. We collaborate together. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, and what so is the par- culture doing as a whole? They're putting them in the hands of toddlers. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yes, yeah. So churches can help turn, sure. their, yeah, at least educate their own yeah. people to uh, uh, to understand that. You know the yeah. dynamics there. Um, uh, so again, maybe shifting a little bit here. Mm-hmm. How, how do you balance, from your perspective, you know, educational, academically as well as just practically, from your mm-hmm. personal experience, mm-hmm. the the whole issue of being relevant to the culture without losing that core message. Yeah, I think... And um, that core message of the gospel being, obviously, we're sinners. Absolutely. And he came as a savior, not to be our yeah. coach. Yeah. But he's come to be our savior, to rescue us from sin, give us new life. Yeah. How, how do we How do we do that? And Well, for me personally, there there is that balance between academia and the practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, this is why I intentionally... It's hard, but this is why I intentionally am a pastor at a church. Uh, it's very tempting. It'd be very easy just to quit and do the, the college thing. And, sure, and I love what sure. I'm doing either way. But even for me, even as a lead pastor, um, I'm wrestling now with how do I go back into youth ministry mm-hmm. because the rapidity of change in five years, my teaching is going to be antiquated in five mm-hmm. years. Yeah. So what I try and do to keep it relevant is, of course, I always continue to educate myself. I try and read mm-hmm. the new things that are coming out from credible sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I also do is just engage myself in ministry um, and try and be involved in youth ministry. I still speak at FCAs and I mm-hmm. do youth camps and stuff. I'll speak at youth camps, but I'll I'll actually just try and get to know kids where they are. Um, and it's it's a little bit harder. It's another thing to balance. But I think to be relevant, whatever ministry context you're in, you have to be in that ministry context. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know how else to answer that other than it gets hard, but it's so worth it. Yeah, and you have teenagers here. So are both yeah. kids teenagers now? Yes, yes. Okay, uh, Aaron so is 19 now. Okay. He, he's yeah. moved out, but my 16-year-old still yeah. living in my house. Yeah, yeah. okay. So. Um, I, I think in something you, you sent me, you said, uh, I'll quote this, we need to train lead pastors in a new way of thinking of mm-hmm. what authentic nurturing youth ministry mm-hmm. and fam- family ministry as a whole really looks like. How does that happen? Are you seeing that happening anywhere? There are some churches, I think, that are starting to wake up to it. Um, and what I mean by authentic nurturing is most people, the systemic abandonment part of the church is where we're more concerned about the number of butts in a seat when it comes to youth ministry. Yeah, yeah. And then we define that as success. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus only had 12 disciples. Mm-hmm. One of them betrayed him. Would he not be a success because he had the 11 that mm-hmm. stayed with him yeah. and then were martyred? Um, in today's culture, we base success based on numbers and budget. And Sadly, like we do. Mm-hmm. And the sad part about that is because there's that push within the church and within the youth ministry, we become jealous of others. 
Mm-hmm. And we stop nurturing people. We stop. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's a great indicator of this. So, societally and church wise, we stop nurturing our kids typically when they enter fourth, fifth grade. It's that weird twin really? age, right? Mm. Well, it's been shown too that, that dads will stop hugging their children when the kids turn about 11 or 12. Mm. There's some sort of weird awkwardness. Not this there. obnoxious dad. Well, that's good for you. Good for you. And I hope not. But the church does that too. Mm-hmm. Here's yeah. what I mean by Interesting. that. Interesting. When I've gone to, uh, so we're talking about nurture and spiritual nurture. When I've gone, I was really excited several years ago. I went to what was billed as a family conference. Mm-hmm. I was all excited about it. So I get there, and and I hate to say it, even our department's a little guilty of this. Mm-hmm. So I get to mm-hmm. the conference, and it was basically nursery through fifth grade Hmm. as if middle school and high school kids aren't a part of Mm -hmm. a family anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we're still thinking nuclear family rather than permeable family, Mm -hmm. which is what the culture is now. Even our, our school here, I'm, I'm going to have to fight this battle maybe a little bit. So I don't know if I should record this or not. I'll, I'll I'll forward this to the, to the president, (laughs) to the the dean, the president. Right. Well, and I think they'd agree with it because we're talking about family based youth ministry, not nuclear family based Mm -hmm. ministry. Right. Where the responsibilities on the parents, we partner with the church. There's more than that. Yeah, it, it, this yeah, this is more attitude, isn't it? This is not just what you do. The format on some right, yeah, that can be oh, part of it. It's a seismic change yeah, in mentality. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, um, we cater to the nuclear family, and so what happens? We go to these church conferences that are built as family conference, and the kids are left out. We we quit the nurturing. <laughs> that is ironic, isn't it? Well, but again, so think about yeah. this: if societally. We're giving kids more independence at younger ages, and they really need more adult mm-hmm. involvement. We stop nurturing them. Yeah. If our kids grow 11, 12 years old, and we stop hugging them because some weird thing about it in our mm-hmm. mind, we stop nurturing them. If we build a youth ministry that is based more on numbers rather than authentic discipleship, mm-hmm. we stop nurturing them. Mm-hmm. If we become entertainment rather than producing disciples, we stop nurturing mm-hmm. them. And then we wonder why our kids drop out of the church. Yeah, yeah. Nurture has to be a whole church thing. Do you have youth in the church you're pastoring right now? I do. We yeah. have a lot of younger children. So you're too. being you're being very intentional there. I imagine we're trying to even yeah. with a and, it, and even in a church setting, even if you get it, even as lead mm-hmm. pastor, it's uncomfortable to do the change. But you got to stick it out, mm-hmm. and it's because we're about kingdom work, eternal kingdom work, not about my own little fiefdom, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so what I do is I try and get even little kids will come up. Well, I have a, I had a little four year old come up mm-hmm. with our folks to take up the offering, mm-hmm. right? So it's a it's a youth, it's an adult. They uh, take up the offering. Some churches are doing this too in nice. ways that they're allowing, mm-hmm. allowing youth to you know, help serve with children's ministry. Yeah. Give them responsibility that equivalent of their ability and their age, mm-hmm. right? We hold we, we often, like the society, we shoot for the, the low. Yeah. And we got to be raising the standard. When Okay, so I'm going to give you a quick story about this too. So I was at a church one time where a music minister had an affair. Now, prior to this, we I had it was so hard to get music done in our worship for the youth. And so I basically, it was trying to pick people. So anyway, I basically said, this has got to stop. Mm-hmm. We're either going to be the, the student ministry team band or we're not. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we partnered them with the adult worship team. Mm-hmm. And so they mentored and modeled. They even got up on stage. Even if you didn't plug their guitar up, they played along with it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, And we did everything. We had kids on the AV team with our adults, everything that the church did, right? So what happened is when the worship person had an affair, uh, the church could have been sunk because mm-hmm. there's a lot behind. I don't want to get into sure, all the details, sure. but because our young people have been nurtured, they actually held the church together mm-hmm. musically through the summer. Mm-hmm. And here's the ironic thing: a young lady who is in my youth ministry now, she is the lead worship leader. Wow! There. Wow! 
this is what the church has yeah. to have a and, vision and, for. And that, and that helped. The, what you see happening, there's community helping in the healing, too, from That's that. That's exactly because, again, right. Because, again, the tendency is to is to run, to escape, say, I don't want to be part of this. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's a, I mean, this is trauma that the yeah. body's feeling, yeah. and the whole body needs to be helped. Sure, absolutely. And, and I love that. Yeah, when I was pastoring, I often would have parents come to me and say, hey, we really want our, our teenagers to be involved, mm-hmm. and we would talk with them. So in that case, it was initiated by the parents. Right. But you're looking at this being a, a philosophical shift or even a theological shift Absolutely. in the leadership to wrestle over Absolutely. these issues. And you, you hit the nail on the head. If we can't answer the question, what is our theological perspective of youth ministry, yeah, we've yeah, missed the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's finish with this. Uh, what's, what's encouraging you right now as you look across the landscape of the church and preparing leaders as you are right now? What is encouraging me is that the fact that our church is starting to get it. Good. It's a slow process. It's a long process. What is discouraging? I wish it would be quicker, but we all want mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is encouraging. And I really am encouraged by, you know, there's so many negative things said about millennials. But the reality is, if you can give them a sense of passion and purpose in life, mm-hmm. like all of us, mm-hmm. they will rise to the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm really excited. I see the, the quality of people that are coming through our ministry programs. Mm-hmm. And... Most of them, just to be honest, mm-hmm. most of them are really, really solid. Mm. Uh, we even at the college have to look at how do we, how do we, because ch- we have children and family ministry, mm-hmm. we have pastoral ministry, all the ministry. Right now, ours is called youth ministry. Mm-hmm. Again, it needs to be youth and family ministry. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm encouraged that people are taking a step. We just, it's, it's got to be a more seismic yeah. shift. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is just the beginning of a conversation, and if people want to be in touch with you, can we absolutely uh, perhaps do you, do you consult with churches? Do you oh, absolutely. Matter of fact, okay. I'm doing that right now. Are you I really good? With churches. Okay. okay. I do speak at youth camps and speak at leadership. Okay. Uh, things for okay. pastors. So, so if absolutely. people have questions about that, uh, I can I yep. can refer them to you. Uh, you're you're part of a, a radio program called uh, Two. <laughs> I, uh, I actually had it here: Two Bald Brothers and a Bible. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, this is on a local radio station. It is uh, uh, every Sunday at two o'clock. It's my Myself and Pastor Travis Gatson, and uh, we're on WRWH 93.9 FM. That's nice. We had, awesome. uh, Dr. Heisen came on and talked about what do you do yeah. if there's not yeah. a good candidate to vote for. Yeah. Really good stuff. Yeah. There's some really good yeah. stuff there. Well, we'll put that link as well. Uh, Rich, I, you got to go. You got a class you got to teach. Yeah. So thank you so much for thank your you. time. Really appreciate your. Uh, we, we covered a lot. This was rapid fire, Ooh, but uh, <laughs> I have to listen to this. My two listeners probably need to listen to this twice <laughs> at least. Yeah, <laughs> All right, Lord bless you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to the Before You Quit podcast today. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about, uh, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. I'd also encourage you to go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us, and you will see up to 35, 36 podcasts that I've done, uh, dozens and dozens of blogs related to the challenges in the life of ministry. And uh, so I'd encourage you to, to check all that out. So until next time, be encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all the hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.